Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, July 27th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we'll hear the latest as the lieutenant governor responds to the attorney general's request regarding a frontage road project. The real scandal here is the attorney general of our state using the threat of his prosecutorial powers of his office for his own personal and political benefit. Then find out why advocates and officials say a job could keep ex-offenders from committing new crimes. And Mississippi's tax-free weekend offers opportunities to save. Will shoppers take advantage? That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves is responding to the state attorney general's request to save documents involving a proposed frontage road project along Highway 25. The controversial frontage road would connect Reeves' neighborhood with a shopping area in Rankin County. Attorney General Jim Hood last week sent a litigation hold letter to Reeves and several legislators' offices directing them to retain all potentially relevant information on the project. Reeves says no documents referring to the project have been found. I, like I assume the Attorney General does, want to resolve any outstanding questions about this project for the public's interest, and therefore I am voluntarily responding to his request. We have conducted two independent reviews of electronic legislative communications by and between me, any members of my staff, with anyone at the Department of Transportation regarding the frontage road project, and without waiving the legislative privilege that I and other senators undisputedly have under Mississippi law, no written documents have been found that meet the criteria of his request. Lieutenant Governor Reeves also rejects the notion that he applied political pressure to the State Department of Transportation to build the road. This after recent news reports claim the head of MDOT, Melinda McGrath, talked about political pressure to build the road project. Lieutenant Governor Reeves later requested any information identifying inappropriate actions of legislators or legislative staff regarding construction of the frontage road. Reeves quoted her response letter. Reading from the letter, I have never indicated any inappropriate, unacceptable, or unlawful communication with a member of the legislature. Reeves says he feels her letter. McGrath proves he didn't try to pressure officials on the project. McGrath maintains there was political pressure, just not illegal communication. In the response, McGrath also indicates that MDOT defines the frontage road as part of the widening project on the Highway 25 Lakeland Drive expansion. Reeves disagrees. There is a widening and expansion of Highway 25 that I have long been a supporter of. In fact, 
again, she specifically points to the appropriation bill while she goes and conflates the two projects. Lieutenant Governor Reeves continues to say that General Hood's investigation is politically based and presents a conflict of interest. The real scandal here is the Attorney General of our state using the threat of his prosecutorial powers of his office for his own personal and political benefit. In a conversation earlier this week, General Hood tells us he's just doing his job. First of all, you know, there is no conflict of interest. It's my job, you know, and I have a duty. And just like somebody in the military or somebody puts on a uniform every day, that's their, that's your job. It's your duty uh, to check out matters that may be illegal, may not be. Politics aside, I mean, I, I still got a job to do. Coming up, find out why advocates and officials say a job could keep ex-offenders from committing new crimes. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation's Get to College program. Based in South Haven, Jackson, and Ocean Springs, Get to College advisors help students and families plan and pay for college. Learn more at woodwardhines.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Criminal justice advocates and officials say a job could keep ex-offenders from committing new crimes. Mississippi Department of Corrections Director Felicia Hall says former prisoners who find jobs after incarceration are less likely to commit crimes in the future. She tells us the agency is working to rehabilitate the formerly incarcerated across the state. We um, launched uh, 82 Counties in 82 Days initiative earlier in the year. We had the pleasure of hiring a statewide reentry coordinator that headed up this effort for the department. And so with that 82 Counties in 82 Days initiative, he and his reentry team went around the state to identify um, employers in every county um, that would be willing to offer second chance employment for our returning citizens. And so with that, we've made some, some great um, contacts with um, um, throughout the state for employers that are willing to do that, who are saying that, you know, it's not going to be an automatic if they have a criminal background that we're going to hire them. But for most of them, they said we will consider, we'll consider the offense. We will consider how long it has been since they committed their offense um, and, and the severity of it. And so, you know, I think we've made some great strides um, in that regard. And some of those partnerships, uh, Ingalls, uh, shipbuilding, we have Polk's Sausage, which is a big employer down in, in the um, McGee area. And then Nissan, of course, is one of the large ones um, that we've learned is willing to take a look at some of our um, ex-offenders as well. So I think we're going to make some great strides in, in, in that area. Was the response from employers what you hoped it would be? It was better than what we hoped it would have been. Um, we actually, when we started that initiative, you know, um, it, there was a little pessimism from, from some of my staff to say, okay, we know what we're probably going to hear when we walk through the door. And for some of them, they were not willing to even have the conversations. But for the overwhelming majority of the employers that we approached, they were saying, absolutely, we'll take a look at it. And we're looking for those individuals with those middle skill jobs. Um, the ones that are going to be the laborers, of course, um, you know, in the in the industries, the restaurant industries, the trucking industries, construction, welding, those kind of um, employers. And so what we've done in talking to those employers is we're trying to match what they want in their skill set for those employees to what we're delivering in our vocational programming. In general, how many inmates are released from prison in a year's time? Wow, that's, that, that's a good question. I think probably last year we had about 8,000 or so 
um, that was released. I'll have to check that figure um, per se. But I know we have 19,441 incarcerated as of yesterday. Um, and we have approximately 25,200 on community supervision. And so um, this time last year, it mirrors almost those very same numbers. So, um, you know, when you talk about the number of individuals coming back to our communities, out of that 19,441, we only have 45 of those that are on death row and only 238 of those that are serving life sentences. So at some point in time, most of those individuals are going to come back into our communities. And so, you know, um, we're, we're making our focus on meaningful, successful reentry to make sure we're addressing all of their needs from a holistic approach, that being, you know, addressing their mental health needs, addressing their alcohol and drug um, issues, the housing, employment, all of those pieces have to work together so that they can have successful reentry. Commissioner Hall, is there any data that would show that an ex-prisoner going back into the community and getting a job is less likely to commit another crime? Absolutely. That's exactly what the, the, the research shows. It shows that individuals who are stabilized once they return back to their um, communities uh, have a better chance of not recidivating. Um, and again, you have to make sure all of the other pieces uh, are met as well, because you can't have someone who has a job who doesn't have stable housing, and so or someone who has a job but also has alcohol and drug treatment issues, and they might just be working to support their habit. That's not what we want. We want those people working, but we also want them in a healthy environment. And so that's what we're doing our, our best job to make sure we're addressing all of those needs. I had the opportunity to go out to my probation and parole office in Hines County on yesterday and visit with my agents to talk about how we're doing our intake process, about the conversations we're having with the guys, you know, that you might have a script that you're going to follow for an intake assessment, but, you know, you have to meet people where they are and talk to them about what their life is going to look like when they go back to that respective community. And so my guys are now having to serve as what you want to call social workers um, and not necessarily law enforcement. And so they have to encompass all of that in maintaining, of course, uh, public safety, but also addressing these guys' needs. And I also had the pleasure of, of visiting with two returning citizens who were there for reporting day. Um, and they were very pleased to tell me that they are gainfully employed and that it has made such a difference in them staying out of prison. Mississippi has a reentry council. They had a symposium recently. Can you tell us what came out of that? Absolutely. Well, yeah, Mississippi does have a reentry council, and I actually serve as co-chair uh, on the reentry council. Um, and the symposium that was actually had was the Department of Corrections symposium, but we called in all of the stakeholders that might have a part in this conversation. And, you know, it was uh, well attended. For our first one, we were very pleased with the turnout. We were very pleased with the feedback that we received from the individuals that participated in the program, but also attended to say, you know, this is a great initiative and how can we be a partner of the Department of Corrections? And so we've established already some, some great partnerships for transitional housing, um, some partnerships for, you know, these mental health resources in, in the local communities, um, for job placement. Those type of things are very important. So that reentry symposium that we just had is one of many that I hope to continue to have. Alicia Hall is the commissioner of the Mississippi Department of Corrections. Commissioner Hall, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. I appreciate it.
Advocacy organization Empower Mississippi has a new initiative focused on increasing employability as they seek to reform the state's criminal justice system. James Robertson is director of employability and reform at Empower Mississippi. He tells us more about their plans. Well, Empower Mississippi is all about removing barriers to opportunity that hold the people of our state back. Um, We focused a lot on expanding uh, educational opportunities, expanding uh, school choice so that more kids have access to a high-quality education. Um, And we began looking at uh, barriers that exist when people leave the educational system and look to enter the workforce. And we found that there's lots of barriers that, that hold people back, specifically in the criminal justice system. And so that's why uh, we're excited to announce this new initiative that's focused on employability, uh, helping get more people uh, in a situation where they can find a job or find a better job, uh, specifically people who've had some sort of interaction with the criminal justice system. What are the odds now when someone gets out of prison? What are the chances that they'll get a job? One of the things, it's a really startling statistic, we've seen that Across the board, people who are released from prison, around 60% end up getting rearrested or reincarcerated within just a few years after being released. Uh, to us, that's, that's a clear indication that a lot of what's going on right now is not working. And it's in everyone's best interest, we believe, that when those people get released, that they're set up for success so that they can find a job. Or if they have a job and say they you know, have a minor uh, parole violation or they're late for a meeting, it's in everyone's best interest that we give them the opportunity to maintain that employment if they're doing well on the outside as opposed to sending them back to prison. You know, if you look at the what's supposed to happen in prison, one of those is to rehabilitate does that happen in the prisons of Mississippi? I think it depends on who you talk to. Uh, I think there there are definitely people who have uh, – there are success stories, people who have gone through the Department of Corrections and come out and been better for it. Um, many more times there are people who uh, who have not been successful in reentering society and uh, getting set up for a, for a successful job on the outside. And so what Empower aims to do is to try and find ways that we can improve our state's laws – to remove the ones that specifically serve as barriers to helping those people get back on their feet. Give us some examples. One thing that Mississippi has is uh, earned time credits for people who uh, are on good behavior while they're inside. Um, For every 30 days that you are following the rules, participating in programming, uh, you can earn time off your sentence up to a certain limit. And we view that as a good program that encourages people to seek programming and job training while they're incarcerated. Um, Unfortunately, there's a handful of people to whom that doesn't apply, Um, and it might be for something as simple as the fact that they didn't pay their fine before they were incarcerated, so they're not able to earn time off. And so in our view, that's something that doesn't really serve the interests of public safety, and it's it's a simple change that we can make to really encourage folks who are incarcerated to seek out job training, to follow the rules while they're inside, to hopefully set them up for success. And it can also be uh, a benefit to the taxpayers because, you know, they're going to get out sooner and hopefully be set up for a job when they are released. So in a sense, you're working on public policy, but you're also working on prison reform. Absolutely. Uh, Criminal justice reform is one of the biggest parts that, uh, in our view, holds back the people of our state from getting better jobs. Probably seen that Mississippi has a workforce shortage right now. We have more jobs uh, than we do people to fill those jobs. Um, One of the things that's not talked about a lot, although we have record low unemployment rates, Mississippi has a very high uh, 
or very low labor force participation rate. So we have a very high number of people who are not even participating in the labor force. They're not even looking for work. So they're not counted in that unemployment number. And some of that's legitimate. Some of that's people who are disabled, not able to seek work, have chosen to retire early or chosen to stay at home with kids. Um, but even when you look at that prime age working population who are able-bodied and should be working, Mississippi is higher than most states at the number of people who just aren't even seeking work. And when you really drill down to see why that is, a huge number of those people have had some sort of interaction with the criminal justice system. They've made a mistake in their past. Uh, they're currently on parole or release supervision. And they're not trying to get a job or they, they think that no one will hire them because of it? Both. So, I mean, you have discouraged workers. Uh, you have ones who are just not able to. A really simple thing that we're going to look at um, is the issue of driver's licenses. So, uh, for instance, Mississippi is one of 12 states that uh, still suspends driver's licenses for any controlled substance violation. Now, so driving is a privilege, not a right. It's something we hear a lot. If you abuse the privilege of driving, you can lose your driver's license. And then if, you can't get to work. Sure. <laughs> and, and you know, we believe that that's, there is a value in suspending licenses for people who, for instance, drive under the influence or abuse the privilege. But uh, in Mississippi right now, uh, if you get arrested for the lowest level drug offense uh, and don't even serve a day in jail, well, the state law still requires that your license be suspended for six months. And so if you had a job, you're basically unable to drive there now. In a rural state like ours, that's super important. And in our view, there, there's, no, uh, there's no public safety benefit to doing that if they hadn't abused the privilege of driving. And so... The issue of suspending licenses has become sort of a default punishment for things that don't really relate to using your driver's license. And Mississippi has made some progress on this front. Uh, just last year, uh, the Department of Public Safety announced that they were no longer going to suspend licenses for people who weren't able to pay a fee or a fine. And in our view, that's a huge step in the right direction. At Empower Mississippi, we'd like to help continue support that progress uh, to help the legislature make changes. James Robertson is the director of employability and criminal justice reform for Empower Mississippi. James, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Coming up, Mississippi's tax-free weekend offers opportunities to save. Will shoppers take advantage? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio can't get to a radio? Well, don't worry. MPB Think and Music Radio are available online and on our MPB public media app. It's simple. Just log on to our website at mpbonline.org to get started. This is MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's annual sales tax holiday has started today. State officials say they don't expect to benefit from the tax break, but they hope it's a perk for retailers and customers. Katie Lawson is communications specialist for the State Department of Revenue. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood the chance to save is extended to anyone, not just students. This is something that is a benefit to customers and the retail community, so it's not a benefit for the Department of Revenue. Well, and so you mentioned uh, the fact that we're doing it for, uh, you know, Mississippians, essentially. Talk about why that's important. It's important because it's a way to kickstart the uh, school year. It's a chance for working people and students to go and 
uh, save just a little bit on school clothes to get prepared. And that also applies to people like you and I. It is not just for students or anyone go back to school, but anyone that um, may need clothes for their job, it gives them an opportunity to save that 7% um, per on uh, items that are $100 or less and just kind of a perk of uh, this weekend being the sales tax holiday. So the the date when tax-free weekend will actually begin, is that Friday or Saturday? It is Friday. So it will start Friday at midnight, that's July 27th, and end at 11.59 on Saturday, July 28th. So it's just a 48-hour window. Well, could you talk about uh, other ways that the state may benefit from it? I think it's a, a good thing for Mississippians. It gives them, again, just a perk of being in our state. We have the sales tax holiday. It's, again, for retailers and Mississippians uh, to connect. It uh, doesn't necessarily benefit us in tax revenue, but that's okay because it's a good thing for uh, retailers and small businesses, and those are uh, part of Mississippi as well. So we want them to have that business drive that will come with this weekend and uh, help continue the success of those small businesses in our state. Was it anything that you think would be important to add based on your perspective? Uh, Yes. I just want to reiterate that this is for clothing. It is not for accessories or sporting equipment or even school supplies. Uh, This also applies to items that are less than $100. So if you're purchasing a pair of pants or a shirt or anything like that, that is less than $100, you would receive that uh, sales tax holiday discount. And uh, lastly, if you are not sure what is eligible and not eligible, on our website, dor.ms.gov, in the news section, we have a link that directs you straight to a list of things that are eligible so that you could prepare yourself for this holiday. Katie Lawson is with the Mississippi Department of Revenue. Katie, thank you again so much for your time. You're so welcome. Thank you. Kanika Williams is area supervisor at a retail store in Flowood. She tells our Ashley Norwood some shoppers may not want to face large crowds. Um, Tax-free mainly is geared towards parents with the children so they come and they get most of their clothes most of their shoes here most it's mostly geared toward back to school so i will expect a lot of parents with a lot of children buying a lot of clothes so how do you prepare for that do you change your floor plan or exactly how do you prepare what we will do is um, make sure that we recover the store. Basically, that means make sure everything is set, make sure everything's in the correct size as far as shoes and clothes, because that's mainly the most important thing that's on tax free. And we want to make sure the floor is just nice and neat so it could be an easy shopping environment. We want to make sure we have enough cashiers on schedule. We also want to make sure that we have enough people on the floor to help them and guide them around the store. So uh, talk about how many different tax-free weekends you've been a part of um, at this store or any other location and um, just how it differs. Do you think that more people are coming out every year or is it the numbers, are they decreasing? I've been a part of maybe four tax-free weekends. I believe now more people are hesitant to come shop for tax-free. That's how I feel because... 
they always know it's going to be a crowd. So a lot of people are kind of pulling back towards that, and they'll either start shopping before tax-free or they'll wait till after tax-free, closer to school time, because of the big rush. It's a big rush that weekend. So a lot of people are now trying to wait to shop. How big of a difference uh, can be made on a purchase on a weekend like tax-free weekend? It depends on how much you buy. So, like I said, a lot of parents are going to shop for school clothes or whatever. So, most of their prices, most of their totals will be about 100 to $200. So, that saves them about $10, $15 on taxes, depending on what city you're in. Because I know Jackson's is 8%, so that's a little bit more than ours in Flowood. But it is a difference in a way. I mean, sometimes it just depends on what you buy because, like I said, a lot of the items aren't tax-free. And a lot of people don't know that. Homes items aren't really tax-free. Majority, like I said, clothes and shoes is like the book of what's tax-free, what's on tax-free. Kanika Williams is the area supervisor at Ross in Flowood. Thank you so much, Kanika. You're welcome. Thank you. And the tax weekend will end Saturday night at midnight. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again Monday morning for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation's Get to College program. Based in South Haven, Jackson, and Ocean Springs, Get to College advisors help students and families plan and pay for college. Learn more at woodwardhines.org.